0: unité, top décollage.
1: Hello there and welcome to episode two of Thinking Space, the podcast of University College London's MALAD Space Science Laboratory. I'm Dr. Garrett Jones and I'll be your host today. The nearest star to us is, of course, the Sun, but despite it being almost on our doorstep, we still don't fully understand how it works and how it influences the Earth and the other planets. In 2020, the European Space Agency, ESA, is scheduled to launch Solar Orbiter. This is a mission that will study the Sun by swooping inside the orbit of planet Mercury multiple times to look at the Sun from close range, all this time sampling the solar wind, which is a flow of charged particles that streams off the Sun's surface. The mission also has a significant contribution from NASA, which is providing the rocket for the launch and is also funding contributions to some of the scientific instruments on board. MSSL has a major involvement in two of these instruments on Solar Orbiter, Extreme Ultraviolet Images, or EUI, and the Solar Wind Analyzer, or SWA. I spoke to some of the key people at MSSL involved in these two instruments, starting with Professor Louise Harrer, a co-principal investigator on EUI. I began by asking Louise to tell us more about the Solar Orbiter mission and its goals.
0: Okay, so Solar Orbiter is a European Space Agency mission, and it's been developed over the past 15 years or so, developing the science goals and then working out whether we can actually achieve those with technology and developing appropriate technology. So what we want to do with the mission is get in as close as we ever have done with both Remote sensing, i.e., imaging instruments and in situ instruments, which can actually measure what's coming out of the sun itself, we'll get inside the orbit of Mercury, um, and we'll also get interestingly of the ecliptic.
1: So the the ecliptic, sort of the plane where the the Earth's orbiting in. So if you go out yeah. of the ecliptic, you sort of look you can look down. down. Yeah. yeah, you can
0: look through a different angle, um, look at something completely new. We'll also be obviously orbiting the sun itself, which means we'll be behind the sun a lot of the time. So we'll be seeing behind what we normally see, which is, is also good. Um, but certainly getting in close will allow us to not only observe the sun up close, but also measure what's coming out of it. So one of the things that's important for us is we're currently on Earth sitting, being buffeted by the solar wind the whole time. And we don't notice it, but our spacecraft that we're reliant on for navigation, watching our TV, our mobile phones, all that kind of thing are affected by solar wind. So we really want to understand it. And the best way to do that is to get in close. And Solar Orbiter is the mission to do that.
1: So the spacecraft itself is being built by Airbus Defence and Space in uh, Stevenage. That's right. Um, so what, what size is the spacecraft? Uh, what, what does it look like?
0: It looks like a large box. Um, at the minute, if you looked like at it, you would see the different panels being populated with communication um, structure, and on the other side, the instruments are being um, integrated and tested. So it, it looks like a big mess of cables and instruments and <laughs> complexity. It's maybe this the height of two people tall and it has one of the big features of it is it has a heat shield on the front and this is one of the technologies that has had to have been developed because we're getting in so close so if you imagine sending your precious smartphone and chucking it close to the sun you'd imagine that that would be challenging for the electronics and and delicate optics so we have a heat shield that protects the the imagers and from the full blast of the heat of the sun. And we're allowed to poke through the heat shield tiny apertures that can allow us to view the sun. So that technology is, has taken a while to develop and will the heat shield itself will be heated to about 500 degrees. But behind that, we'll be quite cool and, and relaxed behind the heat shield.
1: Mm-hmm. And I understand there's, there's part of the spacecraft at the back, there's a boom which is shielded completely as well.
0: Yeah, so at the back... The instruments, the different types of instruments. So the, the ones that image the sun are behind the heat shield and other parts of the instruments that want to be in the solar wind itself or are using booms to basically stick outside the back of the spacecraft um, away from um, as much noise as possible on the spacecraft itself. So yeah, there'll be instruments all over the place on the spacecraft measuring different things.
1: Okay, great. So, so moving on to uh, EUI, your instrument, as it were, you're one of the co-principal investigators or co-PIs uh, on it. So what exactly will this instrument do?
0: EUI is, stands for EUV imagers. So it is essentially three telescopes and it will be observing an extreme ultraviolet, which means it's observing really hot stuff on the sun. So the sun's outer atmosphere is very hot. It's over a million degrees And that's where some of the source of the solar wind comes from. So it's very important to image it. So we have three telescopes. One of them will observe the whole sun and the other two are extremely high resolution telescopes that will observe the highest resolution we've ever been able to do uh, in the solar atmosphere. So we've designed it so that we get the the global context and the high resolution context as well.
1: And the instrument, I understand, is a part of an international uh, consortium working together to, uh, to to build it.
0: Yes, it is. Um, as with many of many of the projects that we work on, it's a, an international team, as well as the UK. We have France, uh, Germany, Belgium, Switzerland, and the task for the UK is has been to design and build the brains of the three telescopes. So. We have very complex electronics that has been designed to control three telescopes at once and to be able to deal with them autonomously as well because we'll be out of contact a lot of the time, either behind the sun or in periods where we have no contact. So we need to manage the the data processing very well. We need to be able to select data, prioritise data. Um, So it's been a complex electronics and software task.
1: So you're uh, leading the group here at MSSL that's uh, making this big contribution to U- UI uh, with uh, Tom Kennedy as the project manager. And we'll be, we hope to be speaking to Tom soon about one of the other projects he's also uh, working on. So collectively as a team, what challenges have you uh, faced?
0: The challenges for this mission, and I think that applies to all the instruments, is that we are in a very difficult orbit um, getting so close to the sun means we are we do have less contact. Um, dealing with three imagers on EUI alone produces a huge volume of data that we can't get to. We also have to operate it very carefully, so the remote sensing instruments are only operating 30 days out of 150 days in each orbit, and that's due to telemetry constraints. Um, so to... Counter example it our Hinode spacecraft, we talk to it nearly every day. We can download data from it nearly every day. We can try out new things with it and test them. And if they don't work, we'll try something else. With Solar Orbiter, we have no opportunity to do that. So we have to prepare everything well in advance. We have to test everything well in advance. And any autonomous and clever work to do with things like solar flares, which are huge explosions on the sun, that we do want to observe, we need to get those triggers working beforehand.
1: So triggers so so there's software that automatically finds, oh something interesting going on, I'm going to record yeah. this and make sure the yeah. data gets so to so the, the,
0: the, the we can trigger on a flare. So a flare is a huge increase, very rapid increase in um electromagnetic radiation, can be across the whole spectrum. And that will happen in a few minutes. So we want to be able to alert the other instruments to the fact that that has occurred. And then we store that data and keep that data and download it when we can. So that, that's one of the challenging things that that we have to do. Um, the other, communicating that way between the other instruments is, is not, not so common. And getting other instruments to respond to your trigger ensuring that everybody has been pointing in the, the right location before we download that data. And then, of course, we have the, the challenge of the remote sensing imagers. They they observe what's happening in the sun, and then there's a time lag before the in-situ instruments measure it as it flows past in the solar wind.
1: So, it's, yeah, the, um, the solar wind isn't going, although it's going fast, it's not it's going anywhere near yeah, as fast as light. As light and, yeah. yeah,
0: so the, the particles, so the solar wind is made up of magnetic field and, and particles. So those those take longer to get the spacecraft. So there is this lag that we have to deal with as well. So there's been lots of challenges that way. But the electronics has been has been very challenging and the size that we've had to build things to because it has to have been small, compact, has to be radiation hard because of the environment we're in. So the components have to be able to resist... Um, damage to radiation in that so close to the sun so there's been lots of challenges we, we did try to work out the boards that we have the electronic boards that we have on the imagers are you know they're, they're actually quite small they're maybe the size of um, a4 piece of paper um, each of them and there's um, a series of those but each one of those we tried to work out how big that board would have been maybe 20 years ago and it's, it's probably the size of a very large living room um, in comparison. So things have really progressed in what we can do and the um, complexity and ability to be able to select things, observe in ways we haven't been able to before is, is very novel.
1: So the flight model of the instruments has been delivered safely to uh, Airbus, That's right. um, but the uh, there's a lot happening between now and the planned launch in, in 2020. So what, what's happening next?
0: The schedule is very tight. Um, there's a lot to be done. There's obviously a lot of instruments on board the spacecraft. Um, and there's the, the comms issues on the spacecraft as well. But the, the thing that all the instruments have been through and the spacecraft hasn't yet is the uh, thermal fact test. And essentially that's put in a huge chamber that simulates vacuum in space and then it cycles the temperatures of the spacecraft on the extremes that it will experience during the orbit. And it wants to do that a a number of times to ensure that everything stays intact and everything still works afterwards, and there will no doubt be issues that will come out of that that will need to be worked on. And another thing that needs done is to ensure the spacecraft is okay during launch, which means it needs to be vibrated as well. So, all these tests have been done in each instrument individually before we deliver to the spacecraft, but it needs to be done on the spacecraft as a whole with all the instruments intact.
1: Okay, so clearly a lot of work has already gone into it and there's uh, still a lot more to come, but uh, yeah, I'm sure you're looking forward eagerly to getting the data back down when it's observing the sun in its final orbit.
0: Definitely, it's. Um, it's will be completely new science for, for everybody, The combining the in-situ data with the imaging data, allowing us to see and touch the solar wind in a way we've not been able to before. It's combining two different completely fields of, of research on the solar physics side and space plasma side, um, which is a real opportunity for new students coming in to have a foot in both camps and be able to lead the way. Mm-hmm.
1: Sounds fantastic. Thanks very much, Louise. Thank you. MSSL's other major contribution to Solar Orbiter is through the Solar Wind Analyzer, SWA. To learn more about SWA, I spoke to two Chris's, Professor Chris Owen, who's the Principal Investigator for the Instrument, and Christine brockley blatt the SWA Project Manager. I began by asking Chris Owen what SWA is and what it'll do.
2: So SWA, as you said, is the, the Solar Wind Analyzer. So it's a, a suite of, of sensors um, that's been put together... Led out of here at MSSL, but um, involving uh, uh, half a dozen or so international partners. We have partners in Toulouse in France, in Rome, Naples in Italy, uh, Prague, and then the uh, the institutions in the United States, which are Southwest Research Institute, Michigan, New Hampshire nasa goddard so between those those groups we've we've built uh, three scientific sensors and a central what well, we call it the dpu the, the data processing unit but it's the central control and electronics box for the suite uh, the instrument that's been um, built here uh, is uh, the electron analyzer system and so uh, that's a a set of analyzers that will be located on the boom of solar water at the end of the boom and we'll detect electrons coming from all directions uh, and we count the electrons and work out where they're coming from what their energy is and that tells us something about the electrons coming uh, from the sun and through the solar wind uh, on the front side of the spacecraft we have two other sensors that measure the positive um, positively charged particles so the ions the alpha particles uh, are measured by what we call the proton alpha particle sensor and that's built mainly in Toulouse with the support of um, Prague uh, and then the heavy iron sensor um, which measures all of the, the, the um, heavier particles oxygen, carbon, iron um, charged as part of the solar wind not much imagination shown but that's, that's the heavy iron sensor part of, of SWA uh, that's built uh, as a joint effort actually led by the Americans and the, the French group with participation from us as well and yes, yeah, so those are the three scientific sensors. that you know, That's what they're, they're designed to measure. Basically, we're sniffing the solar wind, trying to work out what it's like and, and, and what the physics of of generating it and accelerating it was.
1: OK, so Solar Orbiter's got two types of instruments. Some are looking at the sun from far away. And SWA is one of the ones that's, that's right. actually measuring. So yes, we
2: we, the we, we we sniff the solar wind in the immediate vicinity of the spacecraft. And actually the big scientific gains for a solar orbiter should be in trying to use that information about what's happening at the spacecraft and connecting it back to what is seen in the corona of the sun, etc., by the remote sensing instruments and and learning about long-standing physical questions about why the solar wind is accelerated to hundreds of kilometres per second, how it's heated, a lot about the dynamics of the sun, what causes flares, coronal mass ejections... Mm Um, all the dynamics that we we know on the sun how they relate to the environment that's at the spacecraft and then ultimately you know the the goal i suppose is to understand about how the the sun affects the environment of the earth
1: okay great so yeah we've heard it's a truly international uh, project both at the, the missions level and also for all the instruments like swa as well and you've got the Role of principal investigator for the solar wind analyzer. So, what exactly is a principal investigator or PI?
2: Uh, so, formally speaking, ESA and NASA like uh, one point of contact through all of the, you know, to, to control all of these uh, these interfaces, these four sensors. So, so I have the lead role. I mean, formally that meant that I was lead on the the scientific proposal that went in something like ten years ago or more now. Um, so, I. I guess would take some credit in having assembled this team, putting together the, the scientific justification behind the the suite of sensors why they were needed on the mission and, and why our version of those instruments should be selected for the, for the mission. I mean, I can't claim all the credit. It was obviously a big team effort to put that that proposal together. But I led the putting the proposal together. We won that proposal um, in uh, both ESA and NASA. And since that time, um, I've basically been. Providing the the scientific drive leadership, certainly the political leadership. I when I started, I didn't think I had many political skills, but it turns out that we've won several quite major political battles in in terms of getting the the mission the suite selected, the mission confirmed and mm-hmm. selected and built along the way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's fairly challenging. Certainly as a as a consortium of different partners, all of whom are funded by. Their different local agencies you know, trying to get everybody moving in the same direction at the same time as is, is an interesting challenge um, you know so everybody's everybody needs to interact with their own agencies to get the money they need to do their bit and not all of the agencies were you know, providing the, the, the right amount of money at the right time shall we say and we got there in the end but it's keeping the whole thing moving forward is, is interesting. And then you know, there's been a lot of activity in defining what science we would do, you know, how we would actually operate the instruments to get the best science to answer you know specific science questions and things like that. All of that's kind of in my my remit, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting.
1: So if we move to the other Chris, Chris B will say to <laughs> <laughs> Chris B, yes, <laughs> you've got the uh, important title of project manager. Yes. So um, so what exactly is that involved? So my, does involve
3: him? my title as project manager of Solar Wind Analyzer and project manager of VAS and what a project manager does in this context is I'm responsible for the day-to-day running of the project Um, and I have to ensure I'm also point of contact um, for European Space Agency um, and for Airbus who are our prime spacecraft contractors. That point of contact is for things dealing with everything in terms of that's not scientific um, and so for queries that are coming through. Basically, my job, has got I've got to get it built mm-hmm. uh, to the budget and to ensure that um, we arrive at the spacecraft in a timely manner, um, that all the technical problems have been answered, that the documentation goes with the instruments as well. The way I run it if if Chris is the captain of the ship, I'm the first officer of making sure the whole ship runs smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's times where we feel like we're baiting out, but um, um, but yeah that that's my job. So every day is slightly different. I'm basically responsible for making sure that that the um, it gets delivered that the equipment answers all the technical requirements. And uh, that that we, we spend the money responsibly. Important mm-hmm.
1: role then. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it's presumably quite complicated because you're in charge of the MSSL contribution and the whole yes. suite as yeah. well. It's yeah. not just for so, one of the sensors.
3: So, I'm, if for, some, for instance, if we're coming to a point where we're delivering a piece of hardware, we have to deliver a pack of documents that go with it. And that pack of documents must be able to tell the European Space Agency that it's been tested to a satisfactory level, that all the parts in it come from um, a traceable um, source, what to do with it, so instructions on handling it, instructions on fitting it to other pieces of equipment. And I have to make sure that every single sensor, every piece of equipment has that document pack. And it does require sometimes me beating myself up because I'm also responsible for providing that documentation Mm. for EAS. So, yeah, a lot of the time there is those jokes about, you know, Chris can go and beat herself up and have words with herself. (laughs) But uh, But at at the same time, I have a team under me that is responsible for certain parts of it. So I have Barry, who is the systems engineer. He's responsible for the whole... The way it goes technically together um and to to basically overlook uh how the piece different parts of s w a work together to produce a for the technical specification we've got Deeran who's looks at it and as a he's a instrument scientist, so he is um responsible for overseeing how the how the performance is of the instrument to answer Chris's scientific questions. Um, and then under that, we've all got our, we've got a thermal disciplines, electronics disciplines, IIIT. And then they feed and start feeding into Chris's science team and his so operations team. So what was that last one? The acronym IIT is um, assembly, integration and test. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's once you've built all the parts, you then have to assemble it. And as you, as you assemble it, you do testing at different levels to ensure that the the parts are doing what you require them to do before you spend more time and money building them into the whole thing. So
1: check as it goes. So you
3: okay. check as you're going on, um, and it's like a cook making a recipe. You check that the you know the sauce is fine. You check that the pasta's mm-hmm. fine before you put it together in a, in a meal. Mm-hmm integration is putting it all together and how that connects up with the rest of the parts so integration on SWA is uh, we've tested each individual sensor with its own electronics and ground support equipment um, and then you need to integrate it with the rest of SWA you check to make sure that it's that you can connect the two the different sensors with the, the data processing unit with the harness and then you then you do test, so AIT. And then, of course, at, when it gets to Airbus, it will go for its own AIT plan there as it's slowly integrated and tested with the, the spacecraft.
2: Yeah. Okay. So I was just going to say, I mean, Chris mentioned a few of the key members of the team, but actually the, the, the number of people at MSSL that have worked on this project goes into several tens at least, yes, I would have thought. And, and and I mean, one of the, 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 the key points of Chris's role that I don't think she emphasised enough was that, you know, drawing together those... Disparate disciplines of electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, and, and getting the right people available at the right time is is absolutely crucial. So Chris has basically she, she, she talks about a ship and the first mate. Then you know keeping the the, the rest of the team um, working in a coherent manner to meet the deadlines as and when they're required is is all part of Chris's job. Because yeah. I certainly don't have the capacity to 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 manage a technical team of that size. And that's before you bring in our international partners and their technical teams as well so
1: yeah and a lot of those people working on this project are also working on other instruments at the same yes, time as well so it's difficult yeah. to um for them to share i mean time.
3: ideally it would be it's nice to have some one person one project but these days you know the people split between projects we try and limit that most people to may have two or other three projects to do mm-hmm. and then the good side of that is also you've got cross-contamination between projects, people may have solved one idea on one project that they bring into another. But, yeah, it's, it's also a lot of negotiation between other projects in, in certain person's time, realising what you're going to need in the future uh, and making sure that po- person's skill set is deployed in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, each, each member of my team has a certain skill set that you want to use effectively um, and you want to make sure that it's enjoyable work as well because... We do like having a
1: laugh. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> That's almost it for this time. If you want to learn more about MSSL, our website is at ucl.ac.uk mssl. This podcast is on Twitter, Think Space Chat. One word, Think Space Chat. If you've got any questions or comments, then please do get in touch. Thanks to all the contributors and to you for listening. This podcast has been made possible by the support of the UK's Science and Technology Facilities Council through a public engagement fellowship. Until next time, goodbye.